Okay, so we're talking about vapes for a little bit. I, okay, the reason is this. So in Portugal, they have this kind of vape that's a, um, it's almost like a how a weed vape used to work where it, it heats the material enough to get Someone the stuff. Someone was telling me about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it looks like you have these essentially cigarettes mm-hmm. that you put into this little dongle mm-hmm. and then you kind of like just draw out of the cigarette. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like how, a, so now people use the word vape to mean like juice. Right, right. Um, but this is like actually just normal tobacco. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge thing here, actually. You see, everyone uses them instead of like the, the juice vape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking about this, like why, you know, why is this a thing here and not in the United States? And then I was talking to someone else and I was like, I think that the design of the vape, designing a vape that doesn't, that has the same kind of like social dynamics and um, let's say health effects of, of a cigarette is like the design problem of the century. Mm-hmm. This is what I, I claim this. Someone could argue with me on the internet. But you and I were just talking and you showed me this vape and I want you to show the watchers, listeners at home this is, and what you refer to it as a millennial vape. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know. Pitch every, me this vape. Okay, so everybody younger than me, you know, everybody that's a Zoomer, they all use like Elf Bars or like Jewels or whatever. And Which like, are disposable, right? Right, Butter. right, right. And, the, you know, and they're proprietary. I think, I like these, these these big, they're called box mods because okay. like all the parts are, are like swappable. This one, I used to have a really cool one that was like literally an open source design where you could swap out like the, the chip on it and shit. But like this, I mean, I, I build the coils in the tanks. I make my own juice. Like I, I don't have to buy any proprietary stuff. So you are a you are a cypherpunk down oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. the vape. I mean, it's open open source <laughs> vaping, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so you said you make your own juice. Uh-huh. What does that actually entail? So it's nicotine solution, flavor, propylene glycol, and vegetable glycerin. All of these things. Okay, nicotine solution recently last year became difficult to obtain. They they introduced some regulations for mailing it in the U.S. through USPS, and then at the same time every Private mailer like at FedEx and UPS said they just straight up weren't going to like you know ship these anymore. Yeah. So the day before this went into effect, I found out about it and I bought as much nicotine solution as I could. I bought more than I can use. It's going to oxidize before I can go through it. But like, uh, so you are a, a vape prepper. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm outstanding. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see if I can come up with some like long-term storage solution. I have them in like glass amber bottles. Okay. And freezer and hopefully that that drags the lifespan out a bit. But. Very nice. <laughs> okay, so you basically mix up this stuff at home. Mm-hmm. And then what are the other parts that you mentioned? In yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, in, inside this, behind the juice, there's a, a little column with a chimney. And inside of that is a metal coil with cotton, a cotton wick that runs through it. So it's, it's like wire wrapped around cotton. Okay. And so you buy, you know, this wire, you buy the cotton, and then you can just assemble it by hand. And then about once a week, I'll swap it out. And uh, this costs like nothing. Like I spend like $50 a year on supplies. And, okay. you know, going from like you know, a smoker to vaping. It's yeah, like, yeah. Know, suddenly I have a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So wait, so what is the actual like chips, chipset doing in there? So it, it basically just controls, you know, the electrical impulse. Okay. So, you know, you can control the wattage. You can, uh, the, it, it measures the resistance of the coil. And okay. some people get really into like nerding out about this shit. I don't really care. I, like, I, I, I just want nicotine, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> the un... un- Unrelated vape golf. Um, that's really interesting. So, so tell me, like, is it possible for an urban to run on your vape? Uh, not yet, but you know, we'll get there. Like, uh, that's where we gotta go. Law, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So, okay. So clearly, you know, you're committed to the the life. I mean, there's that says a lot about your lifestyle, it's a, it's your beliefs. Lifestyle, exactly. Absolutely. So, uh, I was wondering. So, 
This is Sitful Hatred. I didn't even do the intro yet. This is Sitful Hatred. Yeah, can you do? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Wow, there he goes. Oh, it works. But I'm saying this is like a, what's the term? A metonymy or a simile, whatever. You know, it's like a, your lifestyle in, well, in, you know, in miniature it's, in it's some, in, or your beliefs in miniature. It's embodying my principles. Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> and so your Sithful Hatred, uh -huh. you're currently working Native Planet, which is the hardware company yeah. on Orbit. Um, and so I was wondering if you could kind of like draw the line, this kind of stuff, like bring it to the more, what we think of as computers. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like how did you come up uh, what was your relationship with computers at an early age and kind of like how that informs what you do now? Absolutely. So I would say I, I got into computers initially when I was about 10 or 11 because I had a math tutor who was like an archetypal nerd, I would say. Like got me into anime, got me into computers. You know, this is around the year 2000. <laughs> gateway gateway oh, yeah. teacher, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then, and then after that I got very into piracy and, and like learning you know how to, how to steal video games what years were so this, this is early this, I would say like 2000 2004 okay. would be like this this kind of window of my life and uh, yeah piracy I was absolutely all about like you know torrenting and, and like learning you know this is how, like how I got into like how networking works like yeah, how, yeah. How, do, how does BitTorrent work like you know this is this is a, a pretty big moment for me oh, don't, and, and uh, don't you think that like nowadays like torrenting pirating, it's like young kids don't do that anymore. Yeah, really. it's, it's a shame. Man. And it is a shame because you have to troubleshoot so much weird shit. You're just trying to download some episode of, I, I mean, I don't even know. I forget what I, I, the first thing I downloaded was like a nudie picture. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm like kazaa, you know, I mean, like line by line. Yeah, yeah. Like, and in that day, those days it was like, you know, Sports Illustrated. It wasn't even like, you know. Um, and you're just like watching it come through. But it's like, to do that, mm -hmm. you have to like understand networking because you should get these errors. There's nothing you can look up. So I feel like it's kind of like kids have lost, like not doing that as like kind of like a whole generation kind of oh, missed yeah. that. Yeah, you, know? you hear these anecdotes about like younger people not knowing how a file system works because they just use phones. Yeah. And like, yeah. I mean, I, there, there's, you know, there's younger people here that are clearly no, very proficient, yeah. but yeah, yeah it, you know, you don't have to deal with rough edges anymore if you don't want to. And, yeah. You know, obviously you're not going to learn as much. But I, I, you know, I dealt with a lot of rough edges. When it's I kind of funny to think about that because I was like, yeah. yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, I'm 40, so it's like this all happened a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. But it's like you know, the average person had to who was pirating some internet, was pirating some uh, music, let's say, um, had to understand some amount of like ports, mm -hmm. you know, port like well, like opening ports and this kind of stuff, which is just basic networking stuff that like the average person now doesn't have to deal with. So, right, right. so that was kind of like your intro into a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, mean, I guess I was always kind of aesthetically drawn to like the, you know, the hacker culture. Mm -hmm. We were talking about 2600 earlier and yeah, I used to go to Barnes and Noble with my mom and, uh, and always get that when I could. It wasn't okay, so, often, but for but, people who are, who are listening, what, and they don't, you know, are young, right, yeah. what is 2600? So this, this still exists, but this is a, a hacker zine from like the, I guess, I think the earlier mid nineties mm -hmm. originally. And it's, I think it started out probably as just like text files on, on a BBS, but it, you know, it's a physical magazine and it was distributed through Barnes and Noble for whatever reason. And yeah. it, has, it has a lot of cool stuff. It, was, you know, it has a lot of like, things of dubious legality, oh, yeah. actually. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was like, you know, straight up instructions for doing things that are not legal, but also it's, you know, it had some like cultural legal commentary. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still check it out once in a while. It's still, it's still a solid. I concept. remember it, yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's a really aesthetically cool magazine because uh, it's a small format, you know, just like, I think, do they have color? Uh, so the covers are like the covers are color. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the insides are all. 
And they, I remember every once in a while they like publish something in binary. Do you remember that? There'd be like just like a, a whole bunch of pages that was just like binary. I don't think I saw that. Yeah, I mean they, they did some really cool stuff and a lot of like like uh, hardware hacking stuff as well. Yeah. Okay, so you came up, you're like into that. Did you get into kind of like the ethos hacker, you know, sort of like cypherpunk stuff through 2600 or? So I, I, I think I was exposed to it uh, through that. And then I, I also got, I, I was also aesthetically drawn, you know, at the same time to uh, the criminal hacker kind of scene. And by this, you know, this is like early 2000s, so it wasn't as like professionalized and, and like yeah. hardcore as it is now. It was like other teenagers making remote access Trojans, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, I messed a lot with those. I didn't do anything crazy with them, but I, I did get uh, in trouble at school. They're uh, installing Trojans on all the computers in the computer lab. So. Wow, <laughs> very nice. But, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, I, I just did it so I wouldn't have to do the work in that class. And then a bunch of other kids, I showed them how it worked. And then uh, uh, eventually, you know, we were discovered and I just showed them how to use a port scanner to find all the computers. So I didn't even get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so a remote action a access Trojan is a thing you install on the uh, on the target box right, right. that will open it up so that somebody else can come in and exactly, yeah. fuck with the files. So I would just, you know, put it on the computers and then download other, other people's work and change the name and Amazing, yeah. amazing. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, I don't think I was that proficient. But I mean, you mentioned the aesthetic though, that the like hacker aesthetic, you know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think that there was that strong aesthetic connection. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Hasta La Vista? Did you ever see that site? No. I don't know. There, there, in the early 2000s, there was like this very distinct, like, like very vi like visual hacker aesthetic that all of these, like, there was like this, this underground scene of websites that, were, that, were, that were, they all had that were, it was, you know, very derivative of like early 2000s kind of like Photoshop mm -hmm. website templates, but it, it all had like, you know, like matrix, uh, yeah. green binary Was this related stuff. to like the demo scene stuff or? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's connections, but I, I so okay, there you know adjacent to the kind of criminal hacking Trojan stuff. There's also like uh, you know the, the the scene the the scene like for for wares which, yeah. which is directly adjacent to the demo scene. Yeah, yeah. So I mean these are all kind of like next to each other. Okay, let's let's walk some people through what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, so so and just jump in if I'm getting anything wrong. So basically, a demo scene is a visual. Um, Program program mm -hmm. uh, that runs generally at the beginning when something's loading, like a loading right, screen, right. and usually they were done in an extremely resource constrained environment. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a challenge to say, what's the coolest visual you can make in this? Extreme? I mean, and I forget what the resources we're talking about, like kilobytes, like very yeah, oh, very yeah. small. And so um, a lot of this kind of like eight bit or not even eight bit, like whatever, like just sort of bit art in general, things that people think of as like hackery, come from the need to operate within those constraints, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what would happen, and this is, I mean, it's sort of like corollary thing is like ASCII art, like that's sort of like just literally in the file art. And a lot of times what would happen is if you were downloading illegal software, whoever had cracked it, meaning had re removed the DRM and basically pirated the software, would insert their own demo scene, their own stuff at the beginning to kind of mark who they who had done yep, it, right? Yep, yep. So there was this kind of this like, aesthetic that went along with the piracy, right? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's kind of like the most direct connection oh, yeah, yeah, between so, them. Yeah, so, so it, it does come directly from software piracy in the 1980s. So, you know, people would uh, take commercial video games, they would break the copy protection, they would put them on a BBS, and then it became a competitive game between these people that were breaking the software. And they would, they would repackage it, they would like replace the developer's studio yeah, yeah, yeah. name with like their, their group or whatever. 
And uh, you know, over time, this became more sophisticated. The copy, copy protection became more sophisticated. So the crackers became like very, very good at these things. And uh, I think probably uh, in like the late 80s or early 90s, uh, they kind of formally diverged. So mm. these groups were made up of, of specialists, people who would crack the software, people who would distribute it to like uh, distribution nodes, top sites, stuff like this. And, and then the people who made the art were the people that were making these demos. Yeah. And so they would put demos at the, uh, in the intros to like if you, when you open the game or whatever, but uh, the, you know, they, they would also just do it and compete with each other for you know, what, what kind of fancy effects can they do in these very resource constrained environments. And eventually this became like its own art form where there's, you know, it's not directly related to any, anything else. It's just people making demos yeah. and uh, say, so I know that maybe the, what, what, there's probably smaller formats, but I, I think generally the, the, the tiny format is 4K. Oh, wow. So literally okay. a four kilobyte file that, uh, that you open it, it's like a binary that's executing like on the metal on your PC and it's rendering like 3D graphics, it's playing music, and it's like, uh, it, it literally, I saw this for the first time, you know, when I was, I was you know, 12 or whatever, and I, I, I thought it was like streaming somehow from the internet. But yeah, my, yeah, yeah. I was like, my internet can't do this. Like, how, okay, so this 4K. How big is the average website now? Oh, it's surely like a couple of megabytes. Yeah, like, megabytes. Yeah, and so it's insane. insane that people were able to... And it's interesting you were saying that because it's like so much of that hacker ethos, culture, all this stuff came from this arms race between mm -hmm. like enforcing intellectual property laws, circumventing them, you know, whatever. And then it's like... And, and it was generative of all this stuff. And it's almost like if... So it's it's... If the... If the constraints hadn't existed, it wouldn't have been as interesting. Almost. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. at the time, you're like, man, fuck these, you know, um, there's that FBI warning, piracy is not a victimless <laughs> crime. You know, it's like, you know, but really, that was what generated the art. Because if it was actually not there, yeah, well, there would yeah. be no need. Yeah, you know? yeah, creativity always comes from constraints, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, these, these constraints are formalized now. Like, these are categories. And okay, so I, another interesting thing about the demo scene is that they, you know, it's still going, it's still, you know, its own little hermetic thing. Uh, they actually have a convention, I think, in Finland every year called Assembly. So. That's amazing. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think about that, that kind of ethos, whenever I hear someone complain about Urban and its performance and stuff, I'm like, it's so much better than early. You know, it's just like, yeah, it, yeah. it is, even in its state now, and it could be better, obviously. Uh -huh. But it's sort of like when you have constraints and you're like, I'm overwhelmed by these constraints, it's kind of a skill problem. At some point, you know, I mean, it sounds bad, but it's like, it's a design problem because you're not designing within the constraints that you're given. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like it's one of those things where people, I mean, this is where I'm like, old man yells at cloud uh, Simpsons meme, where it's like, kids these days, mm -hmm. they're not used to constraints in computing in any real, like, way. Mm -hmm. So they're not used to the constraints coming from the actual uh, platform. And so they don't, they're not used to like interacting with the constraints in a constructive way. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Um, which I think is an, it's unfortunate because you can do that. I mean, obviously, right? Because like, there's all these types of art that are expressly to like you know. I mean, chip tune and that kind of stuff is like another example. Right, right. Um, where you're like, I'm only gonna use and like, there's great musicians who have done that. Where I'm like, I'm gonna make a like Todd Rundgren. I forget the name of the album. But he made an entire album just using, I forget which, which sampler it is, but it's like one of those very basic like keyboard samplers. Mm -hmm. And it's all his voice and the samplers, the whole album. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like he could have done whatever he wanted, but he adopted those constraints, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that's kind of, 
people forget that, but that can be very generative. Yeah, that, that reminds me of uh, one of the projects we were, we, we didn't quite finish it ahead of time, but we were hoping to show off here. Uh, Mopful from, from the company, from our company Native Planet, made a, uh, an app for Urbit called Penpy, and this is an app for interacting with a locally hosted LLM. So we, we you know, built all the infrastructure for running an LLM model on our box or you know, any, any device running our software. And then an Urbit app that's like a you know, chat interface where you can talk to the LLM. However, because uh, it's, you know, we don't have a GPU, these yeah. devices are relatively small, it's slow. So it's not, it's, it's a pen pal. It's yeah, like yeah. You're waiting like a minute or two for a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're embracing, embracing the constraint. Ex that's exactly what it is. And so it's an interesting way to think like, Okay, so just to be clear, maybe people don't miss what you said, right? So, Native Planet creates these, I mean, I wish we had one, unfortunately, um, these beautiful hardware boxes where your Urbit runs locally. And what's nice about that is that you can run non-Urbit processes as a sidecar, is the term, mm -hmm. next to the Urbit, and then have an API between the Urbit um, and your sidecar. And so, the thing that you've done is made like an LLM that runs as a sidecar, correct? Right, right. Um, right. That interacts with your Urbit over, I'm assuming, Lick, the, um, yeah, yep, yep. the protocol that uh, Native Planet developed. Um, so you have a local AI running on your Urbit box, which mm -hmm. is amazing. But as you said, it's resource constrained because we don't have GPUs in those boxes. Mm -hmm. So you have a slower LLM. And so I think you've done the right thing, which is go, okay, well, what would you do? If you had a slow, you know, a not immediately, you know, when you have a minute of latency with your LLM, well, you adopt a model where it's more like uh, snail mail, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's very, very cool. Okay, so you worked on the, the PenPy stuff. What else are you guys demoing here? Like, what's the newest Native Planet? Yeah. So the, stuff? the the two kind of major things that you know we're announcing or you know demonstrating is we have two new models. Uh, so we have the Tellurian two. So I guess. Last year at Assembly, we demoed you know our first unit and shipped short a few months after that the Tellurian. Now we have the Tellurian two, which is basically a more compact, more powerful version of you know kind of the same use case. And then we have uh, the the Callisto, which is a very small uh, kind of like SOC like a system on a chip, like very compact device, and uh, it's about half the price okay. of the Tellurian as well. So the, you know it's not not as powerful, but you know very small, very low power draw, very portable. And How big is it? Just uh, I guess like I don't know, like that, and it's very thin. I mean, it's it's it, imagine it's a little bit bigger than like a Raspberry Pi board, but like and then inside like an aluminum enclosure. That's amazing. And then the other the other big thing that we've kind of been working on uh, myself and Nalix, the other kind of main developer uh, at Native Planet, is uh, we've re rewritten GroundSeg, which is the software that we wrote for our boxes. And this is basically uh, like a, a container orchestrator for Urbit. So it's a bit, it's a it's software for managing Urbit ships mm -hmm. and the sidecars associated with them and the networking to, man, to to make them accessible to the public internet. And we try to make this you know as easy as as like intuitive as possible. We try to make it where you don't have to understand how anything works. And uh, we have you know a custom networking backend that forwards the connections from the ships on your box to a public relay that makes them accessible you know over the internet from your phone or another computer. Or whatever. I love it. So we, we rewrote the entire back end. We made a new front end. It's very pretty, kind of uh, looks like a, a Winamp skin was what nice. we were looking for. Very nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, and we, uh, it's, it's a lot faster. It's, uh, you know, we, we, the original version was written in Python, which is you know, single-threaded, so it's, it's, it's a little choppy. We rewrote it in Go, so we've got concurrency. Things happen much quicker now. 
So yeah, we spent the last couple of months kind of banging That's that out. That's really cool. And so what's the setup flow? Like just rock me through the setup flow if you get a new urban, like I'm thinking specifically like if you've used a Kindle, a lot of these, now there's like really good examples of like mm -hmm. setup flows of things. So like what, how do you guys do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we, we I guess we, uh, we took inspiration from mainly like Umbral and Chromecast are the two reference points we have. Uh, and Chromecast in particular for setup. So uh, if you get one of our boxes or if you install our software on a box of your own, which you're welcome to do, it's open source, uh, you, you plug it in and it will, if it does not detect an internet connection, it'll begin broadcasting a Wi-Fi network, okay. which is just default credentials, native planet, native planet. Uh, you, when you connect to it, you can go to nativeplanet.local on your device, your phone, or your laptop, and then configure it to connect to your actual Wi-Fi network. Okay. After which it will you know, restart the, the, the kind of server and uh, it'll begin serving an interface on nativeplanet.local. Got it. And uh, if you navigate to that on your other device, you can upload a, a, you know, a zipped peer directory that if you already have a ship, or you can uh, paste in a, a key or upload a key file and, and it'll, it'll boot a ship, it'll, it'll run it. And then it'll, the next step in the setup flow is, is, I guess prior to that actually, on initial setup, uh, you can enter a registration key for StarTram, okay. which is this networking backend that I just described that automatically forwards your connection to a public relay. Uh, you still maintain you know, ownership of your data. Everything is on your box. It's just that we automatically forward the connection to make it accessible without you having to like know how, how to do the networking or yeah. how to set up a reverse proxy or whatever. It's I mean, totally seamless. You enter a password, that's it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the setup process. You give you know, give it an internet connection and uh, enter a registration code if you're going to use StarTram, and that's uh, it. yeah, that's a boot a ship. That's amazing, and that works so everyone's clear with people who are first-time Urbit users, and if they they're existing have a have a ship mm -hmm. and they want to move it onto. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you can run you know many ships as well. Like uh, it, so, you know, we don't put any kind of constraints on you, and you know, the boxes are you know they're. they're they're like off-the-shelf x86 boards, so I'm not sure about the Callisto, but the other ones you can definitely upgrade, like the memory, the disk on your own. Yeah. Uh, the, the Callisto, I'm not sure because it's it's an SOC, so it yeah, might be like yeah. you know, like welded or soldered on there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, we you know we we're very enthusiastic about open source. I love and, it. Uh, yeah. That's good that you can keep the same. Uh same philosophy with the vape and the uh, yeah, and the yeah. native planet box. Well, you know, I feel like a, a personal sense of, of, of grievance whenever you know somebody like locks me into some kind of proprietary oh, yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny. It really is like it's not even like an ideological thing to me. It's just like uh, uh, etiquette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it just feels like rude. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. That's yeah. that's the way I think. Of it. <laughs> this has been amazing. It'd be great talking to you. Yeah, you too. Um, I think we'll kind of wrap it up now. But I was wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to uh, uh, people. We, where can people find your stuff? Is there anything else yeah, you want yeah, to tell yeah. anyone? Yeah. So we we uh, you know our website is nativeplanet.io. Our urban group is native n a t t y v slash native dash planet. Okay. And we also uh, had some kind of like promotional swag here. Uh, this the. The self-hosting manifesto, or actually the formal title is Improvised Computational Munitions Handbook. Beautiful book. I wish we had and, uh, it here. We'll, we'll cut a picture well, in as well. If, you, if you're not here at, at Assembly, you can you can uh, request a copy of the PDF of it, which is at improvisedcomputationalmunitions.io. Sorry about the really long URL. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, and uh, it's, a, yeah, it's a little little manifesto we wrote kind of uh, outlining our principles. I love it. And I've read it, and it's, uh, I mean, it's both beautifully laid out and everything in it I co-sign 100%. Oh, thank thank you, you very much. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thank you. All right. Boom.